Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Fred Calkins, Interim Pastor for the Midland and Mount Pleasant Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now, here's Pastor Fred. Happy Sabbath. It's so good to be here. Let's get into our study on Enoch. Gracious Lord, we acknowledge our need. We would see Jesus. We want to understand Your love more fully. And as we read the story of Enoch, our minds are drawn to a God who loves and saves. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have some statistics for an introduction to this, which may not be as useful, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. I just spent a week hiking the Appalachian Trail and got in almost 100 miles of trail. More than 100 miles of hiking, that's for sure. But the Appalachian Trail is about 2,200 miles long and usually takes about six months to hike. I found that it goes up to the mountaintop, down to the river valley, back up to the mountaintop, down to the river valley, so you're always going up or down. <laughs> there are other trails. Interesting, the Pacific Crest Trail starts in Canada and goes all the way to Mexico, and it's a little farther, 2,600 miles. My missionary son-in-law, Orion Lawrence, you can read about him in the Frontiers magazine, he told me that he got to go half a mile down the Kokoda track in Papua New Guinea. He says that is the most challenging hike on the planet. He may be right. takes 10 days and <laughs> it wears you out. I was interested to hear about Justina Thomas, and I know Justina's been here, so most of you probably know Justina. She's in Palawan, and in January, she had opportunity to take what was supposed to be a nine-hour hike to go and visit a village that said they wanted an Adventist pastor, they wanted an Adventist teacher, and they wanted an Adventist school. <laughs> So they went to check it out, naturally. She took some medicines and minimum supplies because they were just going to be there one night. Well, I don't know if it was one night or two, but it was not very long. On the way there, this track, if you heard her story, you know what I'm talking about. It's up the mountain, steep mountains. You're hanging on with your hands as you go up. And you're back and back down as you go down. Now, I know, the Palawanians, they don't back down, but <laughs> they grew up with this. <laughs> and they traveled these like goats. So, there was a place where the trail had washed out. And so they had to kind of work their way across it. The rest of the party with her managed to get across. She didn't. She slipped. <laughs> down the mountain. They couldn't even see her. 
Justina, are you all right? No, she was not all right. But there's nothing broken, no blood. A snag of some sort had caught her and kept her from falling down into the abyss. She managed to climb back up and finish the hike. She was worn out. She didn't even carry the rest of her pack. She had a blanket. She had a change of clothes. She had some medical supplies. The Palawanians took the medical supplies, but they left her pack, her clothes, her blanket. She just don't have enough energy to carry things sometimes. And she finished it when she spent the night. A couple of girls slept on each side of her, so she wasn't as cold as she could have been. When she got back, she said, I'm never doing that again. But a week later, she said, Well, Lord, if it calls, hiking. We learn something about persevering and pressing on when we look at these humongous hikes. But let me assure you, the most interesting and significant walk that we read about in Scripture didn't end on this earth. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. How simple is that? Yeah, how profound too. Genesis 5 verse 24. Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. After he began Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years, had sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. To look at the story, you've got to back up and look at Adam and Seth. Great, great, great grandpa Seth, and great, 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 great grandpa Adam. You've got to look back and say, oh, oh, he learned something from those godly men. Adam, of course, created in the image of God, had three named sons. He had lots of other children, both boys and girls. And Seth grew up knowing the story of Cain and Abel. That's a heartbreaking story. Those parents lost two sons in one stroke. Heartbreaking story. Seth grew up with that. He was, some call him a replacement, but you don't replace a child that dies. You might fill your life with other things, but I've talked to too many who have buried a child. You don't forget. It's just there. An emptiness, a pain. The Bible tells us, and we have amplification in Patriarchs and Prophets, Seth was a boy that looked like his daddy. Chip off the old block. I look a lot like my daddy. Most of you probably didn't even know him. But there's a benefit in that, but there's risks too. Yeah. <laughs> I hear Aaron chuckling. There are risks. But it all works out. Seth was still alive when Enoch was translated. Adam had been dead for a little more than 50 years when Enoch was translated. So we know he had that interaction time with those grandparents. 
But the story has a rich phrase in there. When he was 65, he had a son. Many of you here understand what I'm pointing at. Becoming a father can be life transforming. There's the before children, and then there's the after children. Bonnie and I waited till we were nearly 30 years old to have our children. And it was a transformed life. Thrilled. We have four children. And we have learned so much from them. Now, I know, we think of it that the parents are supposed to teach the children, and we do. But we learn so much from them. I believe that Enoch learned to walk with God as he taught his little Methuselah how to walk, how to do, how to be. We can learn so much from our children. Lessons of dependence, lessons of trust, lessons of unselfishness. I think one of the biggest blessings of having children is that we're born selfish. And once you have children, you've got to give. You just It's just in you that, well, if they're going to have, I need to share. We learn some unselfishness, and it needs to be broadened to the rest of our interactions. God wants us to be unselfish to everyone. God so loved, he gave. Powerful stuff. We discover that Enoch was a prophet. Jude, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, emphasizes some aspects of that. But notice, first of all, after he begat Methuselah, Methuselah, we just read that name and we remember, oh yeah, Methuselah was the oldest man who ever died. He was 969 years old when he died. That's pretty impressive. But what we don't catch, since we read our Bible in a translation, and they transliterate these names, they don't tell us what they mean in most Bible translations. But this name Methuselah, translated just as plain as I can, when he dies, the end. Now that's not a name that anybody would really want to have, when he dies, the end. But as a prophetic name, just as good as what, remember in our Sabbath school lesson, we talked about Isaiah's second born son, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> we said, now that's a mouthful. Yes, well, Methuselah is a mouthful too, but when you look at what these names mean, every Bible name has a meaning. Your names do too. We often ignore them, but there's a reason you were given the name you were given, and it's worth paying attention to that and treasuring it. When he dies, the end. And indeed, Methuselah lived to within weeks of the flood. When he died, that was one of the miracles that the people who were around should have seen and should have said, the old man died, his name means the end, crisis time but yet they watched the other miracles and still did not want to get on the ark. Scary stuff. Just absolutely amazing. So, two other 
prophecies that Enoch preached. He preached about righteous living in a godless age. God calls each of us to be witnesses of truth and righteousness. Enoch told people about the God who loves and saves. He invited them to serve him in a time when wickedness abounded. Just a next chapter, you get into Genesis chapter 6, and you read God saying, every thought of man's heart was only evil continually. Yeah? What do we have today? If you want to get depressed, start watching entertainment TV. It's just full of that. And scientifically, it does depress you. You might think that it should be encouraging and make you laugh, but it is depressing. The other thing mentioned in Jude is that he taught about the second coming. Enoch preached that Jesus was going to come. Thousands of years ago, Enoch preached about the second coming. How much more should we be preaching about the second coming? As we, and the subject of my sermon is really how to walk with God, and we want to do at least as well as Enoch, he walked with God and went straight into heaven, and I believe some of us sitting here are going to be translated without seeing death. I believe we're that close to the end. We need to be serious about that. But Enoch had 300 years to walk with God before he was translated. You don't have that long. Just, just in case you... <laughs> in fact, you start thinking about it. How old were you when you caught the vision of walking with God? I was 12 when I was baptized. And as far as my understanding of serving the Lord was, I was okay. I mean, I was a good boy. Didn't get any bad trouble. <laughs> but... I really did not understand righteousness by faith yet. I was nearly 50 years old when someone shared with me that our life was to be lived for God's glory and that selfishness saying, well, what I really want out of life is to get to heaven was self-centered rather than God-centered. And that was opening my eyes. I have been a different man ever since. I'm understanding righteousness by faith much better than I did. And from the age of 50, there's no guarantee I'm going to get to be 100. I know, I've said I'm going to live to be 120 for a lot of years, partly because I don't want to die early. And I have an uncle who said he was going to live to be 80, and within weeks after he turned 80, he died. That's all he planned on. So that's all he had. I don't want to do that trick. <laughs> but I don't believe I have that long. I believe the Lord is coming very soon. The signs all foretell that the moment is nearing. So, we can in Scripture find three, at least three others who exemplify a walk with God. You could probably name them without me even prompting you, but Elijah translated without seeing death. Okay, that's a logical one that we jump to. 
he was bold to stand for God in a godless age. The second one I point to would be John the Baptist. Jesus spoke of John the Baptist as being the greatest prophet, Matthew 11, verses 7 through 11, and also pointed to John the Baptist as a fulfillment of the Elijah prophecy that we read in the last chapter of the Old Testament. So we have John the Baptist as a parallel, and we have just a little more of John the Baptist's life. He spent most of his time in the wilderness, but then he would go down to the cities and preach righteousness. So we have that illustration. But perhaps the strongest illustration about a walk with God is found in the life of Jesus. And in the life of Jesus, we see these things that I'm going to be going through in more detail soon enough. Daily communion with God, lots of time in nature, went about continually doing good deeds. When he counseled, he did it very gracefully, and he confronted sin, tactfully and using Scripture. So you catch those points? Do what God says, do it promptly, even if it doesn't make any sense. We have, during our blind camp, we've looked at these heroes of faith from Hebrews 11, and we find that sometimes God says things that, well, that doesn't make any sense, but God also promises, what I say, I can do. Well, if He tells you, then you follow what He says, and He'll carry you through. Do what God says. The one who tells you what to do also empowers you to do it. Secondly, pray much. That's have daily communion with God. Pray a lot, talk to Him, but also listen. It's a two-way communication. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. I've learned that what that means is that we keep an awareness of the presence of God with us all the time. And it will show. It will make a difference. It will make a difference in how you feel, how you act, but also in what people see in you. The awareness that God is with you. And uh, third one, confront sin gracefully and firmly, and fourthly, joy in the Lord. So let's amplify those. The first one, do what God says. Start now, apply these in your life. When you hear a whisper from God saying, this is the way walk ye in it, that's the way you go. Just do it. Be prompt to obey. If you hear God saying to discontinue, stop doing that, then be prompt to obey. It doesn't matter how dear this thing is to you that you're wanting to hang on to. If God says it's hurting you, say, I believe you. I'm going to let go of it. I don't have to understand how it's hurting me before I can make the change in my life. Jesus had some comments about that, Matthew 18, 8 to 9. He says, if your hand is going to hurt you, cut it off. You know people who have had amputated limbs because they were hurt, that something needed to be taken off. If your eye offends, pluck it out. That was interesting to talk about at blind camp. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it was. A friend of mine 
Indian Creek camp. He was called the Nature Man, and he liked venomous snakes. He had several venomous snakes that he had at camp. He kept them in their nice glass cages. They were separated from the campers quite carefully. But he told me of a friend of his out in Arizona who had one of the same kind of snakes that he had. Some of these snakes are so venomous that just the least little bit can kill you. What we have here in the United States with the uh, rattlesnakes is really pretty tame stuff as far as venomous snakes. This one was really serious stuff. His friend had been milking one of these venomous snakes. They hold it behind the head and they get him to release the venom and that venom is used for medicine. It's powerful stuff and there's ways to make it useful. Well, while he was holding it, he had let too much of the head get out and so the snake was able to reach a fang around and scratch his finger and he knew he was in trouble. He quickly, when he saw that happen, he threw the snake in the cage, slammed the door, grabbed up a hatchet he had beside him, and cut off his finger to get rid of that poison as much as he could before it... Now, that's pretty dramatic. If it is dangerous, cut it off. But sometimes there are things that are near and dear to us that, oh Lord, I don't want to give this up. And he says, it's hurting your witness of my grace. Let go of those things that are not good. When God says, just do. We really don't need to discuss it when we know what he wants us to do. Second one, the daily devotional time. Commit a significant chunk of time. I don't know what that is in your life, whether it's 15 minutes, a half an hour. Some of you are retired and you can commit hours each day to spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer. Make it an important part of your life. Make sure these are productive minutes. Don't just be casually reading the Scriptures, letting the words just run through your mind. Think about it. Let it impact you and say, God, what are you saying to me in this verse? So you're connecting with God. You're listening to Him. As you pray for people, prayer lists help. It just helps to have lists that you can go through. And I have four children. I pray for them each time. They each have a spouse. I have some grandchildren. You know, start with those that are close. But then we have a church family. And you know the issues. We have some of them listed specifically in our bulletin this week. We have people who are having birthdays. Pray for people who are having birthdays. You only get one a year, but you do get one a year. And it's a good thing. Pray for these. It's a special time. Journaling may help. Memorizing Scripture, I think, is an important thing for us to do. I have found that the website named FAST, F-A-S-T, with Dan Weiss, has been helpful. Moving on to point number three. God will make you aware of sin. When He makes you aware of sin, He will 
want you to confront it. It's easiest if it's sin in your own life. If he makes you aware of some sin that is in your life, then you deal with it right away. In his strength, you can make those choices. It gets more dicey when he makes you aware of sin in somebody else's life. But he does. And what a story that was from (laughs) Jim Nix today. (laughs) I don't want to be made aware of such things and have to confront them. But God says, I've chosen you to deal with this issue. Well, there are some steps. Remember Jesus said that before you start taking the speck out of your brother's eye, be sure you cast the beam out of your own eye. When I become aware of sin, my first step is to say, Lord, forgive. I pray for His forgiveness. And as Daniel did in Daniel chapter 9, I can acknowledge the sin as if it were mine. My brother, my sister is doing this thing. We are wrong and we are sorry. I'm sorry with him. He may not even know about it, but I identify with him. And that casting of the beam out of my eye before I deal with the speck in his eye, well, the sins that I am quickest to recognize usually are sins that I'm struggling with. I may have gotten the victory over it, but I'm still very offended when I see it in somebody else. Well, that does not empower you to be gentle necessarily in how you deal with it. We've got to allow God's words to be the ones that speak. Tears were in Jesus' voice as he confronted sin, and oh, did he ever confront some sins. We, in these last days, We'll need to confront sin in our families, in our churches, in our communities. Let us do it with God's grace. And then, fourthly, joy in the Lord. This is the fun one. I recommend spending time in nature. There's something that has just become, I've become aware of it in the last five or ten years. It's called forest bathing. Some doctors are even prescribing somebody spend half an hour each week or each day outside in the woods just sitting there. Well, if you watch, you will find that there are people who have already figured out how to do that. They may sit on their porch, they may sit in their backyard, but time in nature is a time of communion a time when we can connect with God. God wants us to do that. And these heroes of faith that we read about, they tended to spend time in nature. Jesus spent a lot of time in nature. He walked everywhere He went. We drive, that's not spending time in nature. You don't let it settle into you. We have also learned science is pretty good stuff. If you can do that time in nature around running water, it's even better. Move them to the ocean, a stream. There's some very significant benefits in that. If we are living in the light of God's presence, if we're aware that God is with our life, that will make us so that we have a happiness, a peace 
that will show. Our countenance will give expression of our presence and peace with God. First of all, it'll put a smile on your face. Now, <laughs> smile on your face does at least two things. Makes you a lot more attractive. <laughs> That's the simplest thing anybody can do to make themselves prettier is to put a smile on their face. So that's a start. But also, it will change your outlook on life. If you put a smile on your face, then it will give you a happier outlook on life. And that's godly. It will also have a better influence on others. Your character is designed by God to draw people to Christ through you. God wants us to be What's the word? Christian? That means like Christ? That's sharing His witness wherever we go. So my plea and my prayer is that we will each walk with God in the light of His Word and walk into the kingdom just like Enoch did. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to Fred Calkins, Interim Pastor for the Midland and Mount Pleasant Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed his sermon, why not visit one of his churches? The Midland Church is located at 2420 East Ashman Street, Midland, Michigan, and their church service begins at 1045 a.m. And the Mount Pleasant Church is located at 1730 East Pickard Road, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11 a.m. This has been a Strong Tower Radio production.